as the cups are collected, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. If I might encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How then will you ever believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Everyone knows this story, right? It's kind of straightforward. I was thinking, yeah, we can cover this in one go. Not likely. We'll probably get down to about verse 8 and I'll get you to read the rest of it later on. I'll just do a brief something about it but it's just so interpacked with stuff that's in here and as you've been reading through and i encourage you to continue reading through the gospel of john just to allow the words to filter through to see what john has to say about jesus that we might be encouraged in our faith if you don't have a gospel john there's some down the back there please take one on the way out and read through it over the weeks 
As I mentioned last week, there's uh, this continuous thought that goes through John. The end of chapter 2, we didn't get to these passages very much last week. Jesus having performed the casting out of people out of the temple and the leaders coming and saying, what sign, not recognising that the sign that he had already done was casting the people out, that he was being zealous for God. This comment is made by John as he writes. And it's kind of one of those transition passages. I made a comment last week about how novels have all those little flowery comments in them. Someone on the way out encouraged me. They actually like those bits. I didn't understand that. But as you read through, this is one of those connectors. Verse 23 of chapter 2 says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. John gives this as a connector. And many of the commentators write that it's, it's, if you like, this story which happened next gives some explanation to this fact that Jesus understood all people and that even though through the things that they said, he was able to get to the very heart of the matter with them. We have this inclusive language. So we say person and people where in, in the Greek, it's, it's, even though they meant it that way, it still talks about mankind and man and men. And if you take it back into that phraseology, which is the way the Greek does, I think it actually the connection comes in much clearer for us. So verse 25 would read something like this. He did not need any testimony about men, for he knew what was in each man. There was a man named Nicodemus. And so we have this statement that Nicodemus is this, if you like, something that helps us to understand all people. This is the way the commentators talk about it. So John in this story is telling us something that we need to understand, if you like, about ourselves. And we have the story of Nicodemus, and we know it reasonably well. Nicodemus was a good man. He was a Pharisee, as we've, we've talked. The Pharisees were like the good evangelical Baptists of his day. They believed in the word of God. They believed in purity of life. Nicodemus was a good man, a decent man. He's most likely a scholar. Nicodemus was a Greek name. So whilst he was a Jewish scholar, he had most likely grown up and he understood the Greek language. He understood Greek thought. He had been to university. He was a learned man. Later on in, in this passage, Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. So he was, he was up there. He was one of those people who was expounding the word of God to people. He knew the Old Testament. He was an Old Testament scholar, if you like. He was a good man, a decent man. He was a learned man. He was a man of influence. He, he, he invested his life in other people. He was a, a leader. He was on the ruling council. He, he did his civic duty. Often when we think of, of people, we have this concept in our minds that, that a lot of what the Gospels talk about are those people who are wicked people. And we are all wicked. Don't take that along. Don't, don't think I'm not saying that we aren't. We are. 
But he was a good, a decent, civic-minded person who comes to Jesus. And he makes some statements about Jesus, things that he knows is true. He says, Jesus, teacher, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. We know who you are. I've thought about it. We know that you've, you're, you're doing things that show that you've got a relationship with God. We, we know that you're doing things which are important and right. And, but he doesn't ask any questions. He's just making a statement to Jesus. This is, this is what I know. In essence, if you like, if you think back because of what Jesus says, or if you just think through the way the logic goes, Nicodemus is actually asking an unspoken question of Jesus. We all do this, don't we? We make phrases. you know. Um, we make a statement, but it's implying a question. Monday's my day to do the washing uh, of my clothes. Everyone has this laundry basket at the end of their bed, or I do, and everyone in our house has to do their own washing. A really good idea, mums. Not a really good idea, dads. But... <laughs> It's there if we still have those gender roles, right? But sometimes if uh, Sylvia comes home on, on a Monday evening and my, my basket is still full, she might make a statement. You've had a busy day. <laughs> now, what does that mean? I'm pretty clever. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. It means... Or a statement, it didn't rain today. <laughs> You're right, it didn't. So sometimes it's just that in that statement. And if we look at Nicodemus, what's Nicodemus saying? He's saying, look, know who this, but who are you really? You know, what's going on with you coming here? What's up with what's happening? Why are you here and what are you doing? I can make this statement about you, but what's going on? What's there? Who are you? What's happening? Is Nicodemus's question. And we would all expect Jesus to answer that question. Particularly seeing as how we know in John's presentation of this gospel that he wants us to see and understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the thing I find fascinating is Jesus doesn't answer that question for him. When we read this passage, we kind of tie it in and we get that bit at the end, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, any of you have red-letter Bibles? You'll notice that's not in red letters. It's very hard to tell when Jesus stopped talking and when John took over with his commentary on it. I would suggest you, even if you do have red-letter Bibles, they, they change the spot where they think Jesus stopped talking. And I think even mine, mine's the, mine's the new NIV, and it is red-letter. Right? They have him stopping at the end of verse 15. As, as I've read through the commentaries, there's a whole lot of disagreement about it, but those commentators that I trust more, you know, having read through their commentaries, they actually stop his, his speaking at the end of verse 12 where he says this, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? 
So it seems as though Nicodemus asked him a question, what's going on, what's, what's happening with you, who are you? And Jesus then makes this comment about the need to be born again. And he basically says to Nicodemus, I can't answer your question in a way that you're going to understand. Because to understand, you have to be born from above. He's basically saying about men, all men, that there is a need for God to do a work in our lives for us to begin to understand what he's done for us. That until he brings new birth to us, until we are born from above, until we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we don't understand. And then verse 13 onwards, John gives this explanation for the people who are reading, for the church. This is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus has done. Come. The same thing happens in the next passage. John talks about Jesus, John the Baptist. And then at the end of that, John, the gospel writer, gives an explanation of what happens. That's the way things happen throughout this gospel. We hear something that happens and then we get the explanation for it. So let's have a look at this comment that Jesus makes to Nicodemus. Basically saying, for you to understand me, what I'm doing, what I've done, you require to be you require to be born of the Spirit of God, to be born again. So he says this, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God. No one can understand, as we get further into the passage, what God is doing. No one can see that unless they are born again. Nicodemus, and we've, many of us have read this before, again, doesn't quite get it, which is just, again, John's example, the fact that without the Spirit of God having enlightened us, renewing us, making us born again, we don't get it. He says, um, how can someone be born when they're old? How can, how can someone go back into their mum's womb? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Was Nicodemus thick? I don't think so. I think he was just acting in that human way. And the commentators say it doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't get it at all. It doesn't mean that he, he, doesn't, he, he just doesn't understand that there needs to be this change in a person's life. It may be true, and he's just saying, I don't understand this born-again type phraseology. But it could be just he's saying, hey, how can that change, that radical change, take, person, take place in a person when they've reached the position that I've reached? I've got nurture and nature and everything happening in my life. What makes you think there's going to be a change in that? How, how can you expect that to happen? I mean, look at all the things I've done, I've thought, and everything else. Maybe that's what he's saying. But either way, he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. He, he doesn't comprehend it. 
And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Very truly I tell you. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. He talks about a new birth. He says it's a need for everyone to have. As you read through it, the understanding comes through the Old Testament. It comes through the New Testament that each of us is a sinner. We're born in sin. We're incapable of knowing God. That, that peace where our lives and our thinking can bring glory to God is marred because of sin. And Jesus is basically saying if there is not a rebirth, then we cannot even enter the kingdom of God. We cannot begin to understand. So what do we need to know about this rebirth? Firstly, well, A, everybody needs it. Nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. But secondly, what he's talking about here is a spiritual action. A spiritual rebirth. A spiritual birth. He says, unless they are born of water and the spirit. What on earth does that mean? Water's kind of easy to understand, but we just don't know what it means. Spirit's easy to understand, and we kind of usually get what that is. You'll be happy to know the commentators basically fall into five different camps. All right? So very quickly, we'll go through all five of them. The first group of people say, well, um, it basically means water. You have to be born like breaking waters. I don't want to go into the whole birthing process, but you'll understand that. Parents, anyways, and single people. So water means that. You've got to be born. So you've got to be born in, in this world, and you have to be born into the spiritual world. And most people would say that that's not it. That's the way I grew up, I think, people explaining it to me. Most people say that's not it. All right? Because the way the Greek says water and spirit go together, the new birth that he's talking about is being, being born of water and spirit. That, that implies how the new birth happens. So it's not that, I don't think. The second way that people explain it is, well, water is baptism and the spirit. So you have to be baptized and you have to have the spirit working in your life. But that's contrary to the rest of the New Testament teaching. And the baptism that would be talked about here was the baptism of John, which was a baptism for repentance. So if it was that, it would be more looking at the idea of you need to have that cleansing, that repentance, and the Spirit of God working in your life. But most people say that's, that's not what it means. There, there are many who do say that, but most of the commentators, I think, these days would say, no, that's not the meaning, which leaves us with three meanings left, which it could possibly be. The third one is that pretty much Jesus is repeating himself. Water in the Old Testament is often associated with the work of the Spirit. And so he would be saying... You need to be born again of water, which is the spirit. That's what you need. You need that spiritual rebirth. It's an emphasis. Now, that's possible. 
But again, I think that's unlikely in the way the phraseology goes, which leaves us with two. And the problem is I haven't been able to make up my mind which of these two I think it is. The first of them is the fact that water has in the Old Testament this idea of cleansing. Particularly in Ezekiel chapter 35, if you read through there, this idea that God brings his cleansing. He's talking, he's making this prophecy for the coming of the Spirit of God, for the redemption of his people. And he says that I will cleanse you, purify you with water, and I'll put the Spirit within your hearts. And particularly when you go on to the next comment that Jesus makes to Nicodemus, he says, you're, a New Testament, you're an Old Testament scholar and you don't get this? You should understand from your Old Testament teaching exactly what I'm talking about. In other words, Jesus is saying this spiritual rebirth is God's action upon us to cleanse us and to put his spirit within us, to give us this spiritual life that we might understand him and know him. The fifth one, which again is a possibility, leans less on Old Testament teaching and more on New Testament teaching, where water is more associated in various passages with the word of God. I'm not going to go through them all because we haven't got time. But the idea comes through that we are cleansed, we are born anew by the word of God and the spirit of God. And all of the, many of the New Testament passages where it talks about the new birth say the fact that we have been cleansed by his word in us. And so... It's one of those two. I must admit, personally, I lead more to the Old Testament <laughs> because I think that what Jesus is making reference to Nicodemus as an Old Testament scholar, he says, you should get this. So I'm leaning more towards that. But all of the New Testament references to the new birth also talk about this action of the Word of God. So just take both of them as being true. But either way, what Jesus is saying is the new birth that we all need to have is a work of God. It's a spiritual work of God. Unless God works in us, we are not born again. Unless God cleanses us, and puts his spirit within us to give us a new heart, as the passage in Ezekiel talks about, we cannot know him. We cannot understand him. So it's a spiritual birth. Verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. That's why I said we're only getting up to verse 8, so we're almost finished. Born again. What does that mean? Just very briefly, we're going to tie it all together in a minute. This word born again. The word again is a Greek word. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Not that I don't want to. It's just that it's hard to pronounce, I think. Um, it's one word you can use for again. There's another word that you can use for again which is used in other passages of Scripture. This word for again actually has a number of other meanings that are associated with it. It does mean again, but it's a more particular usage of the word. So um, we just sang a song up here. I surrender, well, beforehand, I surrender all, I surrender all. If I wanted to have that sung again, 
I might say, can you sing that again? And then I can get up here and sing that. That's the second word that you use. I mean, the usual word that we use again. It means I can do it. Beforehand, these guys sang it, and we sang with them. But if you want it again, I could do it. I could use that word, can you do it again? doesn't matter who does it. I could do it. Right? You don't want me to, but I could. I would be in tune with the use of that word. But the word that's used here is not that word. This word, for again, has two other meanings. One of them means to do it again. But it says, do it again from its original source. The first source that did it, that's what we want to hear again. So if you use this word, it would be, we want them back up here, not you. So when Jesus says, I tell you, you must be born again, it's again in the same way as the other birth was. And then we go back to Genesis and understand where does our even this birth comes from? It comes from the fact that Jesus breathes life into us. God breathes life into us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Life comes from him. He breathes it into us and we become a living being. And so in Jesus' conversation here, it's from the same source. This life comes from God again, breathing life into your spirit. This word has another meaning, and it's often translated this way. It's translated this way down towards the end of John chapter 3, and it means from above, being born from above. That word from above, which we read down in verse 20-something, is the same word as born again. So basically what Jesus is saying here is you need to be born again from above, from the original source. That's where this life comes from. And if that doesn't happen, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And in fact, you can't understand the kingdom of God. He then knows Nicodemus even more. He says, you're a bit surprised at my saying you must be born again. That's, that's taking you back a little bit. You don't quite get it. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus takes a step back from this and says, I'm not quite sure I get that. And Jesus says, well, it's going to be hard for you to understand. And he gives this analogy of the wind. We won't go into it. Basically, he says, where the wind comes from, we don't know. That's not under our control. We don't even see its influence except we, we catch the effects as it makes sounds, as it blows the leaves around. And we don't know where it goes. That's the same way that the Spirit works. Spirit comes and he changes people's hearts. We aren't the ones who can control that. We don't know when he's going to do it. We don't know how he's going to do it. We just know that he does it. We can see the effects in people's lives. And then the next part of what Jesus has to say, which we're not going to go into, and I encourage you to read. Nicodemus says, I'm not sure I get this. And Jesus says, well, what do you mean you don't get it? Can't you see the actions of the people around you? You've just commented on who I am. You've seen the effect of God at work, so you know that he's working. H.I. Ironside, who was a, a big speaker of Brethren way back, he was a gospel speaker, he was giving a gospel presentation with the Salvation Army once. And they were playing the tambourines and doing everything. And this person was down the back writing notes. And I went to see him afterwards and said to him, who are you? And this guy said, 
I'm uh, an atheist from the Atheist Club. Um, I'd like to challenge you to a debate at our club next week, next Sunday. And Einstein said, well, um, I'm pretty busy, but I think I can make it. I just have uh, two conditions. And he said, one, I want you to bring two people along with you. And I want them to be these people. This was his second condition. He said, I want you to find someone who is a down and out, who was a down and out, who is a sinful person, a reprobate, someone who is causing damage to society, who will be prepared to stand up and say to the world, I went and listened to this atheist man speak, and I'm a better man for it. My life has turned around, and I'm now doing things for society, and my life is much better because I listened to this man speak. And he said, the second person I want you to get is a woman. I want you to get some lady who says, I have been empowered by listening to this man speak, and my life is better. I don't feel enslaved anymore. He said, you do that, and I will come and discuss with you, and I will bring with you a hundred of each. He said, you just need to find one. I'll bring a hundred. He said, I've got a hundred men easily I can find. He turned to the Salvation Army captain who was next to him, who was a woman, and said, can you bring any? She said, I can think of 40 now. Um, Yeah, sure, we can get a hundred. And this atheist guy said, well, actually, I don't think I'm inviting you. (laughs) And walked off. This is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, you don't understand how God works in people's life, but you can see the results of it. Tying all this together. Nicodemus comes and he wants to know who Jesus is. And Jesus says, those people who can understand, who know what, who I am and what's going on, need to have had God working in their hearts for them to understand. Our salvation comes because of the work of God in our hearts. This is what he's saying. He wants this guy to know that it is God's work to bring people to himself. It's not their goodness. It's not their decency. It's not their intellectual understanding. Their ability to understand who Jesus is comes because the Holy Spirit works within their heart to cleanse them and bring them to new life. It's only when they come to new life that they can understand who he is and what he's doing. That's what this passage is talking about. And then John afterwards explains it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. He then explains to the people this understanding of the gospel. What does that mean to us? Well, I think it means a number of things. Firstly, I think that we as those who remember who Christ is and what he's done for us need to understand that our salvation is wholly a work of God. We can take no pride in it. We cannot think ourselves more intelligent than others, more intellectual than others. It is God's work of his spirit in our lives. We need to understand that. We need to live that. We can take no pride in it. We need to understand that it is because of God's will that we've been brought into his family. It's only when we're brought into his kingdom, when we've been made alive, that we can actually understand what he's done and we can respond in faith. That's what he's teaching. 
We, we need to come to that so that we don't have pride in our salvation. I still talk to Christian folk who talk about their friends and family who don't know the Lord. And they say, I'm so glad that I did this. And you've got this, this sense of, I made this decision. I came to this understanding. And I want them to have that same understanding. Was what we need to understand what Jesus is saying is that it's the work of God in us that brought us and allowed us to come to that knowledge of him. And when he calls us to act in the lives of other people, it's to give opportunity for his spirit to work. And that it is his spirit that does the work. There's a very famous, Jonathan Edwards gave this famous sermon about you know, wicked people in the hands of a, of a righteous God. It's not the exact title. But he gave that sermon and, and thousands of people came to the Lord and he had the great awakening. It wasn't the first time he'd given that sermon. The explanation given of the first couple of times he did the sermon was that he did it and it was rather dull. In other words, people fell asleep. The first few times he preached that great sermon, people nodded off. Maybe his delivery got better. No. In this time, God worked. We are called upon to speak the gospel, to act the gospel, to pray for our friends and family, but we have to understand it is God's work. He promises to use those things. But it's his work. To me, that's a great encouragement because if I go out and I talk and I share with folk, I pray for them, God works in his timing and his will and his purposes. It means also that I can't fail. I can be disobedient. But if God desires to work in people's life, he will do so. I take that away as encouragement. Thirdly, if we understand this, if we understand and grasp what's going on, then all the consequences also flow in the New Testament. And that is that if we are born again, there will be this change. One of the great researchers, Barna, I think his name is, he does this stuff and he, he makes this comment in a number of his articles that Born-again Christians don't have any less statistics for divorce, abuse, anything else than the rest of the world. It's the same. And people say, I've been born again. And there's a whole heap of people who might say that. And we have this statistics. You, if you want to be a Christian, there are Christians... And then there are born-again Christians. You know, the wacky ones? Jesus says you can't enter his kingdom unless you're born again. And the New Testament teaches that if you're born again, these things will flow. So Barney uses this, this phrase wrongly. In other words, if you are born again, there will be a change in your behavior, in your lifestyle, and your actions. You will go closer to be more like Jesus Christ. So I come back to you. Have a look at your life. 
Have a look what it was like before you became a Christian and look at it now. It's a work of God in our lives to bring us to faith. And we can't really make that judgment call. Others can't make it about us. But it is pretty clear from this passage that it's a work of God in our lives. He brings us to faith, not of ourselves. But that the results will be ongoing. So if you look back at your life and you see absolutely no change, or if you see no difference between yourself and your neighbours around you, then even though you might intellectually think you understand what's going on, you need to take a really careful look at yourself because the scriptures here are clear that if you are born again, it's a work of God, he will bring about the results and we will see them. They'll be evident. So if you look at your life and there is no difference because of your relationship with Jesus, if you're just a good, decent, thoughtful person, but there's no difference, you struggle to understand what all this living for Jesus stuff is all about, then you need to say, am I born again? That, that's what this is, is here for people to look at. If there is no change in your life, if there is no growth towards Christ's likeness, then we need to ask ourselves, am I? And then John gives his explanation of coming to Jesus and the fact that Jesus comes and he, he is not to condemn, not to condemn, but that we might have life. And my encouragement to you is, is you evaluate your life and you think about your walk with Jesus. You look back at the last 10 years, you see no change in your life. You're just treading water. You're not more holy. You're not loving God's people more. You're not loving his word more. You need to have a serious look at your life and say, is God's spirit involved? Have I just been going through the motions? So what do we take away? In this last part where John gives some stuff, he talks to all the people in the church and he's saying to them they need to understand the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus has come that we might have new life, that we participate in this new life because of the work of God's spirit within us and we respond to it in belief. If you have that feeling as you've come here and you don't know Jesus but you have that desire to respond to God and you're holding back for some reason, John in this passage is encouraging us to respond. He's saying that response is God working in your heart. That's God coming and seeking to cleanse and to change you. He will carry out his purposes and plans. And that he desires for us to respond in believing in who Jesus is. So if you don't yet know Christ, I encourage you, respond. Talk to the person next to you. Come up the front at the end when we pray and say, look, I, I don't know Jesus. I know he's a good guy. I know he did all these things. He's got nice teaching. But yes, I do need to respond. I, I haven't done that. I want this new life that he says so that I can enter the kingdom of God. 
Come forward and talk, share, pray with someone. Because if God gives you that opportunity and God works in your heart, that is what we're to do, we're to take that opportunity and we're to respond. And I would encourage you to do that. There are people who have been here and they know Jesus. You have new life. I'd like you to evaluate your life. Think about it. Say, am I walking with him? Someone gave this analogy. They said, we're naturally made to breathe. Just because we have new life doesn't mean we always do it. We, we do continue to sin there. Sometimes we don't grow as much as we should. We don't love as much as we should. And that's us being unnatural. And they use the analogy of breath. When we have new life, we breathe. And that breathe is supposed to cause us to, to grow and to oxygenate us and to give us health. That's the natural thing. But sometimes what we can do is we can hold our breath. <gasps> Which, unless you're underwater, is unnatural to do that. But a lot of Christians do. We hold our breath for a period of time, and then God <gasps> makes us breathe, and we grow a little bit. <gasps> we struggle against this whole thing of life that God gives us. So when you do your evaluation of your life, some of you aren't breathing. You just come to church and you go away again. There's no change in your life. Again, I encourage you to come to the front and say, I, I need to know Jesus. I want to believe in his name. I want to trust in him that I might have life. Some of you are Christians. But if you look back at your life, you're taking your odd occasional breath just to keep your brain alive. God promises that he will grow you. But he expects us to breathe in and out on a regular basis. And if you haven't been doing that, I would encourage you to come to him to repent and to ask that you might be able to do that today and in this next week. I encourage you with that. There are those of you that are growing. You're breathing. You can see your life in Christ changing. Be confident in the fact that this is a work of God. As you go out into the world and the community, understand that it is God working in people's life that brings them to himself. You don't have to be afraid of doing that. All you have to do is faithful in doing that. God will bring the change in people's lives, in your families, in your friends, at his good timing. What he calls us to do is to live before them in love, in grace, to present before them the gospel and to bring them before him and ask him to work in their lives. And I would encourage you to pray regularly that God will work in your friends' and family's lives and your neighbours. And I encourage you to come next Sunday to our prayer for friends and family, that we might join together in praying for those who are lost. Let's pray.